0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We are back here on the Believe in Nets podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com, and there's been no need for me to change the intro because the Brooklyn Nets just keep winning. We're recapping another 125-117 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, but a little background on the last two-game stretch for Brooklyn. The Nets beat Milwaukee Bucks 118-100 Friday. And not just beat, but really dominated the entire game. And they had won 14 of their last 17 heading into the matchups with Milwaukee and Cleveland. But just three of those 14 wins had come over teams who are currently over 500. And two of those three were against Portland and Memphis with Damian Lillard, John Morant, and Desmond Bain all sidelined. So sure, the Nets were red hot. But there were serious questions about whether they were legit, you know, stemming from that favorable schedule. And the matchups with the Bucks and Cavs, two of the league's top teams, was a real measuring stick for Brooklyn. It had the feel of a litmus test. And the Nets lived up to the billing in a big way. They controlled both of these games from start to finish and really looked like the better team on both nights. So diving into this win over Cleveland... KD and Kyrie really just took turns abusing the Cavaliers defense. They scored 32 apiece. Kyrie finished with 32 points, 11 of 19 from the field, seven of 11 from three, and also had four rebounds and five assists. And there were two stretches in this game where Kyrie really was hotter than I think I've ever seen him with the Nets. He drained four shots three of them threes in the final three minutes of the first half to spur an 18-2 run and give the Nets complete control going into the break. And, you know, Kyrie in this stretch was four of the shots were three – three of the shots were three-pointers, but all four of them should have been threes. There was one where he was like an inch on the three-point line, and the shooting and the shot-making and the level of difficulty was just off the charts. It was unbelievable. I mean, this was a stretch where it looked like – prime you know KD Warriors type dominance it looked like Nets hard and scary hours with the big three type dominance I mean it was unbelievable they scored 20 points in a matter of three minutes it w- it was you know it was something that when you watched it you were like wow there's something special happening with this team right now so you know and then in the fourth quarter as they normally do the Nets rested KD. And then Kyrie scored on three straight possessions at the start of that period, step back and one, then another step back, then a deep pull-up three. And that gave the Nets a 19-point lead, their biggest of the night. And it was really huge because the Nets needed every bit of that lead to escape this one with Darius Garland exploding for 19 points in the fourth quarter. He finished with a game-high 46 for the night. 14-of-20 shooting from the field, 5-of-7 from three, 13-of-15 from the free throw line. So Darius Garland was just absolutely dominant. But Kyrie Irving having those two stretches to give the Nets that cushion, it proved to be too much for the Cavaliers to overcome, even with Darius Garland completely exploding. So that was huge. And we know the Nets can do this. I mean, KD Kyrie, they explode for runs like this. We saw KD hit three three three-pointers in under a minute to end the third during a 26-point third quarter against Detroit. And, you know, through all the madness of the last three seasons, the 7-11 era with this Nets squad, the microwave scoring has always been there with KD and Kyrie. But the difference for this year's team is the Nets are now doing the other things around the margins. They're playing defense. They're pushing the pace. They're sharing the ball. They're starting to rebound on both ends. And that's because they put a supporting cast of winning players around the stars this off season. And, you know, I'm going to get to those guys later, but now getting to Durant, like I said, finished with 32 points, 10 of 18 shooting from the field, five of eight from three had nine rebounds and five assists and, you know, in this one, it really seemed like Kyrie was extending the leads and then Kevin Durant was maintaining the leads. I mean, the degree of difficulty on some of the shots that KD was making, we've seen him do it again and again, but it was really, really impressive. And you know, the three ball is really starting to drop for KD. As I said, five of eight from this one, he's 20 of 43. That's 46.5% from deep during Brooklyn's win streak. And he started off the year in the mid to low 30s from three. And we knew that it wasn't going to stay like that because of the type of of generational shooter and marksman that Katie has been throughout his career. But with that starting to fall from deep also with Kyrie, it's opening up the floor for everyone. And it's really turning the nets into just an unstoppable offensive threat. And, you know, it's it's not just that the Nets are making these incredibly difficult shots. They are. I touched on how Kyrie, how KD can go on these insane runs, but they're sustaining it. You know, mixed in with that, you know, like I said, large in part due to the supporting cast that they put around these guys. It's just high IQ basketball and efficient basketball and executing in a variety of ways. You know, I posted a clip on Twitter that you guys can go check out. You know, whenever you want at Eric Slater underscore on Twitter, but. They ran one set in this game where Katie Kyrie came down the floor, they went into a horns entry, which is you know, two guys, it was uh, Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons at the elbow. So horns entry, they enter into Nick Claxton on the left elbow. And then Ben Simmons comes around. They set a pin down into a handoff, which is called Chicago action for Kyrie. So you got Ben Simmons setting a pin down, Nick Claxton handing off to KD, excuse me, coming around the top. And then Claxton and Simmons go off that and set a picket fence screen for Kyrie who comes around it and knocks down a three off the catch. And it's just like, those are sets where you see them, where you're like, wow, the level of execution, the skill that these guys are putting on the floor is really something special. And then... I mean, you see it on other plays. That's an example of Jock Vaughn, obviously, putting the Nets in a set that worked to perfection. But then it's just the instinct. I mean, you see Kyrie, you see KD navigating traffic, telling guys where to go, hitting cutters, you know, just doing all these things. You see the Cavaliers tried to go zone a few times in this game, and the Nets are just completely picking it apart, getting it to Kevin Durant at the elbow, turnaround jumper, you know, passing in, passing back out for threes, getting inside, working to cutters for alley-oops, for lobs. It's, it's just like, they're playing the game at such a fluid and such a high level of execution that it really when you when you have that on top of the generational microwave scoring of KD and Kyrie, it really makes this team scary. And you know, I was talking about the role players and what has changed from past Nets team with KD and Kyrie. And I want to start with TJ Warren because season high twenty three points in this one on nine of fourteen from the field and two of four from three and. Warren is shaping up to be a massive, massive difference maker. And we all knew that that could be the case. I mean, I wrote an article before the season called the the under-the-radar signing that could put the Brooklyn Nets over the top this season. And when, you know, TJ sat out into – you know, early December, he was, he, when he made his debut, I was, I was getting a little nervous. I was like, ah, maybe that was a little bit overzealous, but you know, now it's just, I'm just realizing, you know, I'd watched TJ's film in Indiana the last two seasons. And I'm remembering why I wrote that article and everything that I put in it, because, you know, he's a secondary creator offensively that opens things up even more for KD and Kyrie. I mean, there were plays in this game where you're seeing TJ as, you know, a, a guy who's really looks like a go-to option. I mean, he looks like an extremely high level role player. And honestly, I think he's going to be starting by the end of this year because he's doing these things over TJ's last seven games. He's averaging 12.7 points on 60.3% shooting from the field. I mean, he's, he's, added really another starter to this Nets rotation he's coming off the bench but that's the kind of guy that he's becoming and there were a couple of plays that really stood out in this one one was in the first half with TJ at 15 points in the first half where Kyrie has it on the wing the Nets got Darius Garland switched on to TJ and TJ has post position and he's calling for the ball and Kyrie sees him he's like it's Darius Garland on him I'm giving TJ the ball and TJ backs him down he spins baseline he throws it in and it's like those are the type of plays getting from a guy coming off the bench. That you just don't see with most teams, and it was the recognition of TJ seeing I've got Darius Garland. I mean, this is an undersized guy. I'm going to score. Kyrie seeing that and saying, "This is TJ we have. It's no brainer. I'm giving him the ball." And then he scores. And then you know another play at the end of the first half from Kyrie was on that hot streak. TJ scored two baskets during that Kyrie hot stretch. That was an eighteen to two run to end the first half. And they're running a lot of these actions with TJ as a screener for Kyrie or KD. And his three balls starting to drop. So. You know, it's a pick and pop. TJ goes to set the screen for Kyrie. He gets it back. They bite. He gives it back to Kyrie. Kyrie drives, kicks it back out to TJ, and it's an open three and he drains it. So it's just, it's these plays where he's providing this secondary option that teams are going to actually have to just leave open at points because of how great KD and Kyrie are. When you have a guy who can not only hit those open shots, but create in his own when he has any little opening. It's just a massive difference. And, you know, TJ is known for his scoring, which I just touched on, obviously, but it's been much more than that during his time with Brooklyn this year. He also had nine rebounds and two assists in this game. And the defense that he's playing is just, I said that TJ in his last season, last two seasons with Indiana had made pretty you know, great strides as a perimeter defender compared to what he was early in his year. But he's continued that after not playing for two seasons, he's doing it at an extremely high level. And I've talked about it on a recent podcast with some of the things he's done in isolation matchups against um, Jason Tatum, Scotty Barnes, Trey young, these guys, but he he's doing it every game now. It's just who he is. And, also, like I said, nine rebounds, he's adding a lot. And it's just the added length in both phases, which is something I'm going to touch on at several points. He's just 6'8 frame, six foot ten inch wingspan. He's just adding that presence in driving lanes, in passing lanes, on the offensive end with what he can do around the rim, on the boards. It's just huge for this team. And, you know, the Nets have four pickups from this offseason that are real difference makers. I mean, first you have Royce O'Neal, who is 14 of 21 from three in his last four games. Maybe hasn't been as great as a defensive option as you would have thought, but he's still been good on the inside. He's better playing in the post and you know, with the Nets getting Ben Simmons healthy with TJ Warren coming into the mix. Royce isn't forced out onto the perimeter as much as of late, which he's not really as great on the perimeter. He's better guarding bigger wings and bigger bodies in the post. But as I said, 14 of 21 from three in his last four games was 10 points on two of three shooting from deep in this one. So great. Then you have T. DJ Warren, Utah Watanabe, and Edmund Sumner. Obviously, I touched on how great Warren isn't going to be. And, you know, the other thing about Warren is, like I said, he hasn't played in two seasons. He's still getting his feet under him. I mean, this guy's got 10, 12 games under his belt here, and he's playing at this level. Imagine when he's at. we're into, you know, March, and he's got 40 games under his belt, what he's going to look like then. But like I said, you got Warren and Utah Watanabe, I mean, getting to Utah on this one, 10 points came up clutch once again. I mean, how many times is Utah Wadonabe going to come up big? It's like five wins now that he's had huge shots in the fourth quarter. He drained two big threes to maintain the lead in the fourth. No fear whatsoever. Utah's shooting 54% from three on the season. He's a very high-level perimeter defender off the bench. And, you know, then you get to Edmund Sumner, a capable guy, length, creation, creation, and spurts can do it on the defensive end, a bigger guard that the Nets really haven't had in recent years. You know, six foot four, six foot eight inch wingspan, really can do some things there. And then obviously, like I said, some self-creation, getting out in transition. So, you know, not an outstanding player, probably won't be a part of the rotation come playoff time. I mean, he could, but maybe not, but a minimum signing. So like I said, I mean, those are three fantastic minimum signings and TJ and Utah those are some of the best minimum signings you'll ever see. I mean, Utah Watanabe was a non guaranteed deal that some people thought might get cut during training camp. He's leading the league in three point percentage. TJ Warren, a minimum signing. The guy looks like. I mean, he looks like the level of some of the other bigger wings that you see, like a Tobias Harris in Philly or some of these other guys. He looks like he's going to be that good and that impactful for this Nets team, especially once he gets his feet under him and his conditioning, his strength in his legs all gets there. I mean, this is the kind of thing that can put the Nets over the top, and that's what I touched on at points in the offseason. But then moving on to Ben Simmons, who was outstanding in this one, Four points, nine rebounds, eight assists, three steals, two of five shooting, and you know this showing from Ben. I wrote in my post game article. It it probably won't get the praise that you know it should, and you'll still have idiots saying, "You know Ben Simmons four points, you whatever." But don't let that low scoring total fool you, because if you watch this game, you know anything about basketball, you know Simmons dominated this game in the first half. He finished a team high plus 23 for the night. And he's doing so many things throughout this run that don't show up in the stat sheet. I mean, first, the defense. The presence in the driving and passing lanes, as well as at the rim, is just off the charts. And it's so much different from recent seasons, which I just touched on with TJ Warren, Royce O'Neill, Utah Watanabe, Ben Simmons. That's four guys who have been inserted into the rotation, along with Edmund Sumner, who's a bigger guard. Four or five guys who just add a complete Different feel to this game in terms of length, in terms of athleticism. I don't think people realize the Nets have been playing with undersized guards in recent seasons. Everybody wants to talk about that first round sweep against Boston. I understand it, but the Nets were often playing Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Goran Dragic. They're playing three of those four, I and mean, even all four at points you know, um, on the floor against one of the longer teams in the league in Boston. And when you have, you're going from those guys to guys who are six eight, six ten with this kind of wingspan, and then add on Nick Claxton's leap in terms of what he's done as one of the best defenders in the league this season, the difference in that length and that closing of driving lanes, that condensing of passing lanes, that presence around the rim, it cannot be overstated how huge that is. And I actually asked Kyrie about that after the Bucks win. So I want to play his response for you to that question real quick. You guys have been a smaller team, you know, in recent seasons. And this year, you know, you guys have that added size with Ben, Royce, TJ, Utah. Like, does that for you, you know, when you're out there, does having that added length and athleticism, does that just make the feel of the game different for you? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I can't necessarily guard – everybody on the court in terms of the perimeter so when kd can guard drew uh, you know i can guard javon carter and uh, you know royce can guard Giannis or ben can guard Giannis. i think our lineup is so interchangeable that it, it, it's a positive for us it's a strength of ours and then you have two of the top guys guarding isos and nick and kd i mean it makes a huge difference out there you know they're leading the league in garden iso so you know, anytime people are going at him, we know that we had a great chance to make a miss And when you can make professionals miss at a high level, then, you know, pretty much we're getting out on the offensive end and uh, putting together some quality possessions. So, you know, you hear from Kyrie there, he's talking about it on the defensive end, what a big difference it's making. And it's one of the things that I wrote about. My first article for clutch points was the wing signings that are going to make a massive difference for the Nets this season. And that's really how it's played out. But getting back to what Ben did in this game, the rebounding Simmons was a menace on the offensive boards all night. And I said, things not showing up in the statue. And that's because some of these plays that Ben is making, he's so athletic that they aren't offensive rebounds. So there's there, there should be a stat for this. And if there is, I'll find it and relay it to you guys. But it's the plays where the ball is coming up off the rim and Simmons isn't controlling the rebounds. So he's not getting the offensive board in the statue, but he's tipping it out or he's causing a deflection that leads back To the nets and a 50 50 ball or just a controlled tip out to the perimeter. And those are massive, massive plays that happen so often in this first half that don't show up in the stat sheet. And then you know, I said defense, I said rebounding, now getting to the offense. The pace that Ben Simmons played with, I tweeted out during the game. It cannot, I can't emphasize enough how amazing Ben Simmons has been during this recent hot stretch stretch, pushing the pace, whether it's off made baskets, whether it's off missed baskets, whether it's off turnovers, free throws, whatever. Him getting the ball, pushing it down the floor creates so many opportunities and catches the defense out of position so often, just subtly, things that you might not see glaring. But that little getting down the floor quick, people aren't in position. When you have scorers like KD Kyrie and you can catch defenders even a half step out of position, it makes such a big difference. So that's something that Ben Simmons is doing that just you know, it's it's unbelievable. Another thing that doesn't always show up in the statute, sometimes it does. He came down the floor one possession, pushing the pace, had a beautiful backdoor to Utah Wadonabe, led to a dunk, but sometimes this does, all this stuff, it doesn't show up. But if you watch the game, you can just feel the gravity that Ben Simmons has and what he's doing to impact it. And then, you know, just finishing it off offensively, just the confidence when some when sometimes when guys sag off of him early in the year, we didn't see it, but there were a couple of plays one in this game where you know Evan Mobley was sagging off, and Simmons had the ball. They were looking to run a DHO or some kind of action. You see, he notices Mobley sagging off. He drives in, beautiful right-handed hook shot. He backed him down on another one and hit a little fadeaway turnaround. So it's just that confidence. You know, maybe you would like to see it a little more, but what he's doing in all phases of the game, defensive rebound, defense rebounding, offense—it's just been unbelievable, and it can't be overstated how great he is. Finishing with Nick Claxton, 10 points, four rebounds, two blocks, five and nine from the field. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jared Allen, and rightfully so. Jared was an all-star last season. I love Jared Allen. During his time with the Nets, class act really saw him blossom into a very high-level player, and he's done great things in Cleveland. But it really felt like Nick Claxton outplayed Jared Allen in this one. And the defensive presence at the rim and on the perimeter – continues to just be off the charts for Claxton. He's really he's really getting into the conversation for a defensive player of the year candidate. And I wrote an article about that last week with some of the comments that Claxton said. He said, I don't feel I get the respect I deserve. I feel like I should be in that conversation. And it usually obviously goes to a bigger name. Like in recent seasons, it's been a Rudy Gobert three times in the last five years. The other two have been Marcus Smart and Draymond Green. So, you know, bigger name guys. But Claxton is doing things that, it's really undeniable the impact that he's having. He had a game-winning block on Darius Garland in the final final minute of this one, and he's done that all season. I mean, he's second in the NBA in blocks, and when you can have that kind of presence at the rim while also being probably the best perimeter-defending big big man in the league, you're going to make a serious impact, and it's what he's been doing. And that's not even touching on offensively what he's done. I mean, his touch around the rim – He's just light years improved from what it was in past seasons. And on top of that, you know, he's leading the league in field goal percentage. And then on top of that, he even shows some more awareness and comfortability in creating for himself. We saw a few plays in this one. There was one play where he kind of got caught around the elbow and he realized that his defenders, probably Allen or Mobley, was overshading. And he just steps through and lays it in. That, you know, also he's improving as a passer out of the short roll, off rebounds, all of these things. He's just doing so many things on both ends of the floor that really just lead to winning and lend themselves to winning. And, you know, just another solid performance for Nick Claxton. He's becoming one of the top value contracts in the league at $8.5 million for this season and next. So, you know, just... Top to bottom throughout the Nets rotation, contributions all around, and another just outstanding win over one of the better and one of the hot hottest teams in the league. I mean, we saw this rotation that Cleveland had. They're no joke. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was quiet in this one, but that was because Darius Garland was an absolute fire. But Mitchell and Allen, Mitchell and Garland in the backcourt with Mobley and Allen on the back line. I mean, that's a serious team, and they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with for years to come, but the Nets really looked like the better team on the floor on this night. And the win, it marks nine straight for the Nets. That's their longest win streak since 2006. So obviously the longest since they've moved to Brooklyn. They've won 16 of their last 19 and 12 of their last 13. They're two games back. Uh, with this win, they jump Cleveland for third place in the Eastern Conference. So they're in third now, amazingly. And after a 2-7 and seven start, They're two games back of Boston for first place and they're a half game back of Milwaukee for second place. So they're right there. I mean, this team is playing a level of basketball and now with two statement wins back to back, there's no denying that they're really moving into that upper echelon. I mean, right now, I'd say that Boston is in a tier of its own. They're the team that we haven't seen the Nets beat yet this year. And so I'd say they're the tier one. But the tier two, I mean, it's Milwaukee, it's the Nets, it's Cleveland, it's Philly. They're all right there. And the Nets definitely have an opportunity To go into that tier one, I talked about on my last podcast, the Nets played more back-to-backs in the first half of that season than any team in the league. And we obviously know about the insane dysfunction in the opening weeks of the season. They're going to be rested. They're going to have a favorable schedule the rest of the way. There's no reason to believe that the Nets can't make a push for the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And if they keep playing like this with assets to potentially make another move that I've talked about, and I'm going to do a whole episode on trade targets and things that I think the Nets can do, but they have the ability to, it's getting to the point now where this team is looking like they're approaching legitimate contender status. So Unbelievable last two wins for the Brooklyn Nets. The hot stretch is approaching something like we've never seen during the Brooklyn era or the Kyrie KD era. Maybe the Nets, I think, won They won 20 or 21 of 25, something ridiculous with the scary hours, big three with Harden, Kyrie KD. It's not at that level, but it's getting damn close, and we're going to see the Nets over this next few games. If they can keep pushing this, it's going to approach that, and it's really putting the whole rest of the league on notice. The Nets are going to travel to Atlanta and Charlotte to finish out this week, and if they can extend this winning streak into the mid-teens, they could be close to first place in the Eastern Conference, so On the upswing for the Brooklyn Nets, that does it for this episode of Believe in Nets. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. You can find all of my updates on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. I do a lot of game threads. You posted some stuff from this game. You can find all of my articles on ClutchPoints.com, news, updates, analysis, trade targets, injuries, all of it on the Brooklyn Nets. So that does it. Believe Podcast Network, Believe in Nets. I'll talk to you guys soon, and hopefully we're continuing this Nets winning streak.